We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecki, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. All right, welcome to the Eight Black Hands podcast. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about the assistant principal, also from Texas, that decided that it was in the best interest of his career and the best interest of his student to cover a haircut with a marker, with a Sharpie. So I'm calling this principal the Sharpie AP. <laughs> so yeah, this, Texas, is, this, is, this, is, this is Texas, man. I don't know what the hell is going on in Texas. But this is not the first instance of just blacks and having to worry about their hair or having to worry about, you know, our culture intimidating other cultures. So, fellas, jump in. What was y'all's take? I mean, we it reminded me, you know, we brought in the this year, 2019, talking about, you know, the wrestler that had his hair cut because, you know, a white referee didn't, didn't like that. I told you, I shared y'all the story about Nasiha, who the referee told her she couldn't play the playoff basketball game because she had a chemo. She was covering her hair, and they told her, you can't play at all. We're banning you from the, from the game. You know, um, she's an activist student, and so she fought it and, and got the state to, to, you know, turn that over. Um, and now we're, we're looking at Texas again. Last episode, we, it was in Texas. No um, shower caps to pick up your kids. And today we're talking about someone actually putting a marker on someone's skin to color their hair like this. And, but, but it, the thing about it is like, we keep hearing about stuff like this. Keep. That's and, and how much of it, and I don't think, you know, people say like, Oh, this is new getting out of control. I think this kind of stuff has always happened, but now we have social media and kind of this instantaneous news flash to, to everybody. But I think this kind of stuff has been happening ever since uh, public schools have and private school have opened to black kids. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate and it's a continuation of the madness. I hope wish somebody would do that to my kid. No, I don't wish, I, no, I don't no, I wish. Well, 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 be I so mean, problematic. That's two, that's twofold. I was, ta- I was actually, cause I was talking to my son about it and I was, you know, I was looking at it from the perspective of, first of all, I'm going to be pissed off with my son. Because if you have choices, the first choice you need to make is I need to call my dad. Because yeah. I know ain't no way in hell my dad going to let y'all color my hair in order for me to stay in school. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot of, a, a lot of my anger is going to start with my son. Like, what kind of decisions are you making for you to say to yourself, yeah, it would be okay for you to color in my head? But it also, it, that must also mean that you're not, you know, a super strict authoritarian because a lot of kids are told, don't argue, you know, don't move out of the box, mm-hmm. speak when spoken to, be seen, not heard. Mm-hmm. That type of child is, le- is going to be more reluctant or it may not even cross their mind to call, you know, anybody because they're accustomed to, you know, hey, don't don't move, don't do, don't talk back, don't do this, you know, don't resist. Well, I mean, they're so taught, like, in a lot of ways, that adults are the authorities. Yeah. Right? So they're, they're young, they're shorter than you, they're looking up at a big person, 
uh, I don't care who the person is. It's always like a little intimidating when you're a kid and adults are yeah. telling you to do something. But this one, I feel a little bit different than I did on the last one, right? So you, I know, there's no way you can feel the same way about this. I hope. <laughs> no, no, this was different. This was different for me for a couple of reasons. But the, the the first reason this is is you don't touch the child, right? Like you can have all kinds of policies or whatnot, but you take a a, a marker to a child's head and you're on a different level now. Like you have crossed into a different territory right now. You send the kid home, you suspend them, you do whatever. Um, and then their parents can come down and fight it out with you. But if your child comes home with marker on their head, that's a whole different level. Yeah, that, that's a different level of crossing the line. Sports. And Ray, I know, I know you're going to put the article in the, um, you know, when we send this out, but can you just describe for the listener like when we we're saying marker in the head, can you like describe what the haircut was and what they were so, trying to do with the marker? So, all right. So apparently uh, this, 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 uh, the student attends a school that's like in gang territory. Right. So like, I guess the assistant principal uh, was trying to make sure to ensure that other students were going to be safe uh, based off of this kid's haircut. So it looked like an M and it was faded. So the kid had like a, a a high top or whatever, but like the sides were faded and it looked like a letter M that was uh that was to be that was shown that had skin uh bald. So you yeah. could see the letter M and the kid's yeah. hair was black, right? And so the principal, the assistant principal, I'm sorry, the AP thought it would be best for him to color in the M so that you wouldn't see the M. So then my first question, because we, we're both administrators, right? And we both have assistant principals. Don't you go to your principal in order to say, hey, I'm thinking about this. Should I go about it like this I'm or what? about coloring this kid's head in. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> we good? They might say it on the walkie. Like, hey, El Mecky, I'm about to color this kid's head in, you know, got an M. <laughs> For got mastery. a gang haircut. You know what, though? It <laughs> yeah, might be different like in different schools. M for mastery? Uh, <laughs> it might be different in their schools because in a lot of schools, the assistant principal is like the behavior person. Yes. Like the, that, the, the authorizer of punishment, right, in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely right. I don't, I don't disagree with that. But at the end of the day, if you're about to make a, a decision, that could be a career-ending decision. He might, he might not have looked at it. I, he obviously didn't look at it as a career-ending. He didn't even probably look at it as a big deal. Everything should be looked at as a career-ending decision in education. Given, given the, the high stakes that we're in now in terms of being black males and being in education, you got to look at everything with seriousness. If you want to have a long, a, a long career, if you want a career with longevity, you need to look at everything under a microscope because everything that you do is looked at under a microscope. Yeah, well, I mean, you're entrusted with children every day. That's why you're entrusted with children every day. You're entrusted with their lives. You're also being put on the hook for keeping people safe. Anytime something happens to a kid after school, even for instance, walking home in a gang territory or whatnot, they're going to want to know what the school was doing, what the school did. What are you doing to keep kids safe? And I think you, you probably have a lot of people overcorrecting uh, to keep kids safe. Like, we're going to get rid of all red and blue. You can't wear any red and blue because, you know, those are colors that might get you in trouble or whatnot. You can't wear any T-shirts with uh, gang-affiliated stuff on it. And that gets into stuff that could be totally innocent. You're wearing a shirt that makes you totally innocent. They've overcorrected because they know that they're on, under the spotlight. 
they know if they end up, I mean, listen, Urban Prep, a great school in, uh, um, in, in Chicago, the number of kids that I've seen now after following them over a couple of years that have been shot on the way home is just distressing. Like they send out an email every time an Urban Prep student uh, gets hurt on the way home. And, and especially if it's like, if it's life ending and it's distressing that mm-hmm. now you have like a count, a number of, of their kids that are going to the school that they're trying to protect. But when they come into that school, they have to wear a tie, they have to wear a suit, tie, everything, right? Um, it's not a suit, but you know, they have a uniform yeah, and all that stuff. a blazer and a tie. Right, to try and get them out of, you know, I, I don't know what it is really to be very honest with you. But putting marker on somebody's head because <laughs> they had a letter M cut into it is different still than even all that. It's nuts. I remember I used to get designs on the side of my head back in the day. No, you didn't. Yeah, did I did you? back in the 80s. Yeah, I had did designs you? coming right down here. What? Yeah, all kind of stuff. What is it, Black Power? Big S. <laughs> Sell Mecky. So, I had a high top fade. I had a high my man top Mark fade. Kerr used to hook me up, bro. Mark Kerr from, from the Hill District in Pittsburgh. He was also my roommate, Fabulous Barber. He would, he would hook me up. Like, hey, can you do this design, that design? You know, had you so you you so you was pretty much like his practice dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I was his best uh, commercial advertisement. I was like, dang, who did that? Like Mark Kurt. But um, but yeah, but I can't I can't imagine you know just coloring some kid's head in. It just seems so bizarre, so crazy. Yeah, and but I, so this even is- and in the name of safety or any, or the name of anything else to me, it's just in the name of madness. Yeah, but this is this is the same. This is these. I mean, I'm gonna say there's a lot of mental health issues in schools. That's all. You know, like I I think we got to acknowledge that because that's the only way possible that some educator color the kid's head in. Like that's. I mean, it has to be a mental health issue. How else can like I just can't really wrap my mind around. You know what? Actually, I've never heard anybody bring that up though. I mean, like. I'm sure that there are people that take these jobs with the best of intentions, but over time they get wore down and frustrated and something else kicks in. Like the videos that you see of people like body slamming a kid, for instance, out of school, you have to ask yourself, like, how did that happen that they got to that point? Right. Like they're, they're that frustrated with kids. And it's not a few of these videos. There's a lot of them. Like yeah. I've seen them all. Like people so, so a lot of unsta- so, and I don't wait, know if wait. all of them were not unstable. You know what I mean? I, I just have to believe that there's, Sir, you know, people, there's 3.15 million teachers, however many million principals, mm-hmm. you know, and as much, and yes, as a profession, we love our students. We want to do our best. And I can't imagine that there's 100%, you know, crazy proof in our, in our, in <laughs> okay. our so, so I just don't buy that. Yeah, okay. that's true. All right. So bring, bringing us back, right? So it says, the school district's dress code. So the school district's dress code says extreme hairstyles such as carvings, mohawks, spikes, etc., are now are are now allowed. Now they're allowed. Why the hell were they allowed before? But this is funny that it's called extreme, like extreme haircut, <laughs> like like a, a carving of your hair. That's extreme. But you know what? But we see this a lot. Like how how many times just this past year did we read about? You know, black kids saying that they can't wear locks. Black kids couldn't wear gaylays, you know, the, the African wrap that some some of the um, young sisters wear. Um, you know, talked about Nasiha with her with her Kimar. There were there were, I've read countless pieces over this past couple years 
just highlighting like, oh, this black kid could not wear this hairstyle, right? And so, you know, like, I said, when I first became a teacher, I had cornrows in my hair, straight backs. So, so this is a so to paint to paint to paint context even more. This is a junior high school student. So yeah, it, he looked like a little kid. Yeah, it speaks to what you guys were saying earlier in terms of like, you know, him looking at authority and him, you know, cowering and being scared and or him, him being told to respect authority. So I get that. And so the, the dad, the right, dad. He, he like, made, how many people we've heard say like, hey, something happened to authority. Something happened with the police. Just do what they say and then come talk to me later. Not demand a phone call, uh, right? Right. Like I'm not saying that's that's the issue, but those kind of things, those messages are are told to kids. No, sir. That's not what I teach my son. No, no sir. that's not what you oh. teach. Right. But right. right. Know that people say like, hey, just survive. We can fight it later. I need you to come home safe. And, and uh, if somebody say, hey, I'm gonna color your hair and the kid is probably like, yo, this person is crazy. Man, I told my son flat out. This is the advice that I gave to my 13 year old son. If you were ever accosted by the police. You say, I want a lawyer and I want my dad. And you don't say nothing else. Man, you know how many kids whose lives have been ruined because these cops have brought you into a, 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 a police station and tricked you into saying some shit that you ain't even got nothing to do with? You, know, you, you a, know that happens to us all the time. You know you're not going to get any argument from me on, on uh, anything <laughs> I, about uh, police abuse. Me either. Me either. <laughs> you know. No, all right, so, so the dad, the dad, he said, to hold my son against his will, so the kid apparently was held against his will, and color his hair, and they said, and and, and they said uh, they laughing while they're doing it. So these people is laughing while they coloring this kid's hair. Yeah, I feel I feel for that child, man. It's just uh, you know sometimes you you just hear things about like what it what children are subjected to in 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 um you know in schools and. You know, I mean, it, I, I told you about the piece. I, I had to stop writing because I was getting angry about, you know, like we can't teach your black ass, but we're going to spank you. You know what I mean? Like that. Uh, yes. yes. You know, like that. It's, it's a lot. Just that kind of stuff, you know, like, you know. That's still that's still. Legal how many? Time. Yeah. I, you know how many? 20 something states where it's, it's still OK, you know, to, so, to beat a kid in school. I thought that was going to end up in an episode. So I'm glad you brought that up because. I grew up in St. Tammany Parish School District in Covington, Louisiana. So that was my school. That was my I school. I think district. that's one of the states. And I got paddled when I did. So I, I can I can name or I can recall about three to four different times during my schooling in which I was brought out into the hallway or I was brought into a principal's office and hazed by a white teacher because none of my teachers were black that were doing that, Right. And I know how that makes me feel now. Like if I saw one of those teachers that put their hands on me then now, uh-huh. it would be a different conversation right now, because I don't think that that's right. You know, what, I don't though, even right? think it's human. You know what's sitting trip about that is because you know I went to school in New Orleans. I went to school in Louisiana. I think your parents had to give permission to uh, for them to paddle. Paddling was was optional as a uh, as a punishment. But Instead of suspension. Yeah, at the beginning of the year, though, you had to fill out some sort of situation where you would you would either authorize or not authorize it. They couldn't just grab you, snatch you up, and beat you, but they could if they had, I think, parental support. Interestingly, interestingly enough, 
there is a lot of parental support for for uh, down south. I should say down south. I, yeah, I down never, south. I can never imagine this happening up north, anywhere where, near where I live now. But uh, bro, I don't even. I grew up with with. I didn't grow up with my mom. I grew up with my uncles, and I don't know if they can read too well because they signed off. <laughs> Oh, I mean, everybody did. Every and you know what? They they had been through it. Everybody else had been through it too, right? Like it was, it was generational. Look, they we were gonna um, back in the day, um, not with mastery. Uh, um, we're gonna hire a principal. He's from Florida, so he came up. They asked me to you know feel him out. Take you know, so it took him to you know to to breakfast or something. Me and my friend Aaron Stark, and so we we're talking to this brother, black man. He's a principal, and so we we're just you know talking about school culture, academics, you know, what his goals were, aspirations, you know, like trying to see if he would be a good, good fit. He started talking about like, well, I don't, I don't, how do you guys establish culture? You know, like we, we beat them. We're like, we're like, what? beat who? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, we beat them. We're just like, we were just incredulous. Like, what do you mean you, you beat the kids? He was in elementary school. It's like, well, parents get to choose between a suspension or we paddle the kid. And he's like, it works out well. He's like, you know, a lot of parents are are busy. They're at work or something. They can't take off. They're like, no, nah, just just paddle them. And I was just like, brother, you're not going to be a good fit up here. <laughs> like, you, you got to keep that stuff down down in Florida. But this was this was man, 15 years ago. Um, but it's still it's still happening. Whether it's beating them, whether it's cutting hair, whether it's sitting them because they got a chemar, whether it's uh, banning uh, locks and 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 we can't just act like these are in schools. I read something where in New York they said now it's okay for women to wear natural hair in certain professional settings. You know, so like this is you know this kind of anti. Black. Hairdo yeah, no, is a no. pervasive no, thing. Not no, just as, no, don't depend. Don't to, don't, you always no. cape it for New York. No, 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 no. I'm not caping for New York. I'm not, ca- you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a caper. I'm gonna find it. The caper guy is somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is that all these policies that you just mentioned and all of the people that they target are black people. Yeah. So we are constant targets for these policies. Man, I'm tired of this, man. I'm tired of this. So, so you oh, yeah, here it is, February twenty second, twenty nineteen. New York City just banned hair discrimination. <laughs> man, that's black insane. natural hair gets new protections in New York City. You, you, but you know why that was happening? Natural was, hair discrimination is now illegal in New York. Yeah, that's because it's legal everywhere else. Wasn't there a Supreme Court case that said that uh, you didn't have to allow dreads in the workplace? Hmm. I thought no. I thought actually just recently they said that you could be fired for it. Fire. Okay. Fire. Yeah, yeah, that you'd be fired. So let me ask you a question because both of y'all are administrators, right? Yeah. Well, here's here's my provocative, um, Chris Stewart type question. <laughs> we were waiting for it, right? Because like, listen, I feel like somebody's got a cape for the other side of these things. The thing about order, like creating order. Now the the the, the rip on charter schools oftentimes is that the kids that become chronic perennial problems get counseled out and end up in district schools and the district schools they end up in, they become the predominant population of certain schools. So teachers in those schools will say, come walk a day in my shoes before you like talk about how strict we are and anti things. It's it's like, we don't start out that way, but y'all are counseling out 
the students that have the most persistent and chronic behavior, overturning tables, threatening teachers, uh, won't mind anything you say. You know, uh, you can't teach longer than three minutes before everybody is like, you know, uproarious and whatnot. They will say, you come to my school and we got all the students that y'all done already counseled out. So come walk a day in my school. What, what, what do you say about there are some kids in some certain situations or whatnot that actually beg for more structure? Well, I, I think a couple of things. That's a, that was, you put a lot in there. One, okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that those those schools, you know, are you know, one are super strict. You know, just because you suspend a ton of kids doesn't mean that you're, you know, strict. It just means you know you maybe reactionary or something like that. Right. Secondly, the um, it was, I would say yeah, we we can walk in in your shoes. You know, I I'm not in a in a school that you know kicks a bunch of kids out and stuff. You know, and you know, because we're also a neighborhood school, so you know, our, our kids are are from the neighborhood, and so it's just a very, you know, different setup than a lot of you know charters. Um, you know, and it doesn't, you know, even if you end up with with uh, you know students in your school that that may be more challenging, you know, you still can't be marker, you know, put a marker in their hair in their hair or cutting their, you know what I mean? Like none of the hair politics play into that. You know, and then, you know, I, I think every that. school should have the support, you know, that the kids need, you know, so whether it's more counseling, more support, smaller classroom sizes, all of those things, I think, you know, most schools need anyway. So in terms of counseling out, I've worked at schools prior to my school that that was common practice. I won't name those schools. You can probably look at me on LinkedIn and see some history if you want to really know. I will. I'm doing that right now. <laughs> but uh, okay, shade. I, I, shade. <laughs> I came I came into my particular situation at uh the Riverhead Charter School because I wanted to run things a little bit different than those zero tolerance schools. And so for me, I don't like I, I wanna help every kid. I wanna help every family. So every every family that entrusts their student in our school, I wanna make sure that we provide them with a world-class education. And so some of the things that, I, that I've seen in like the past couple of years that unfortunately you will have one or two kids out of 500 kids that are just totally unruly that, you know, that, that will tear a classroom up or whatever. And so putting them in district schools, that's not going to be the answer for those kids, for those particular kids. We got we to gotta dig deeper in terms of finding out what's really wrong with these kids and that's how you start to fix what's going on. But the parents have to be on board in terms of like, hey, you know, we might we got to go through a couple pro different processes in order to figure out, you know, what's what's happening with your kid, why your kid is behaving the way they're behaving. And a lot of times what we've uncovered is that, you know, it has a lot to do with their home lives in terms of what they're seeing at home, in terms of what they're being exposed to or whatever. But like we do our due diligence in terms of finding out all of that information before we ever come to a conclusion that we can't educate a kid. And one of the things that I'm most proud of, of, of our school environment, and it kind of, you know, you guys have me kind of thinking about these kind of things and whatnot all the time when I'm making decisions, when I'm making budgetary decisions or whatever, is that I wanted to cut down on the ratio of uh, school social worker to students at my school. Mm -hmm. And so we budgeted, we have yeah, over, 500, over 500 kids, mm -hmm. and we had one social worker. Starting tomorrow, as a matter of fact, 
we will have three social workers on my campus tomorrow. And that was something that I overly committed to along with my board because I was like, hey, listen, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of baggage that these kids are bringing in from home. And we want to make sure that they go home worry free and that when they come in, they're ready to learn. And so that was one of the things that we committed to as a staff. So, you know, hopefully that helps. I know that it will. Um, it'll, It'll definitely help us long term. Yeah. And I I would say also like a lot of, you know, when we just say like district schools, you know, it's not like kids, you know, stay there. They also have like, you know, disciplinary schools and and systems as, as well. Um, What I I would love to see is like, you know, just more partnerships between, you know, charter and district, at least in Philadelphia, where even if a student is leaving one of the, the charters, instead of just showing up at the district school, that there should be some kind of conversation with, you know, with the district and the charter about what their child's needs are, what happened, you know, um, and what are, what are next steps, you know, um, you know, for, for the child, you know? So I I do think that like more of that needs to happen. I bring it up because I, I mostly think when I talk to people on site, they think that these type of policies just don't come out of anywhere, right? It's not like people wake up in the morning and decide what are all the ways in which I could like, you know, make life harder for these students. In some ways they're trying to figure out how to get the students to enjoy a very good education, but it's just not working out. They're at their wits ends. They're frustrated. They've had too many of the same type of problems over and over again. They've been chronic problems. They don't have tools. They don't, they don't, you know, in some cases, it's just like, I mean, you probably have seen this in your career more than one time is mm-hmm. an educator who cries, right? Like, like they start telling you a story about the, how frustrated they are and they just melt down on you. Now, yeah. I'm, so, I'm yeah. somebody from the outside who will be in a school visiting and somebody will do that. And it kind of freaks me out a little bit. It lets me know that there's some people that are riding on the edge working with our kids mm-hmm. uh, in the school. And these policies, I think, come out of them you know begging for help and their superiors come down off of the hill with these type of policies yeah but what help are you looking for when you color a kid's head in no this is my point (laughs) the teacher isn't looking for that type of help but when they are crying out for help with behavior it arrives in the lap of somebody who becomes awfully authoritarian right like we said, like the, the big boss, the dean, the black man educator that they hire to be the enforcer, blah, blah. And over time, that person takes that role too far, right? They start to, because they're getting all of the behavior stuff sent to them. Teachers are sending them everybody who has it. And you know what? They interact with the student four or five times. And by about the fifth time, they've had enough of them and they do something really stupid like this, you know, really stupid. Man, four or five times, that's it. You know, like some of uh, our, some of our, 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 most uh, inspiring people out there will talk about like the challenges that they had in, in school. And, you know, like it, it was that person that they had to keep seeing that kept just dropping seeds, watering it, dropping seeds, watering it and, you know, help their child evolve into, you know, into who the community and the world needed them to be. You know, I just I, think. I, I will tell you this. I, I know somebody specifically, I'm not going to say her name. <laughs> who's the biggest liberal person that I have ever met in my life, tree-hugging liberal person, started working at one of our high schools. And I hadn't seen her in like a year and a half, maybe two years. And we started talking and ran into her. And what was coming out of her mouth was so crazy. 
like hateful about mm-hmm. the students mm-hmm. that it was almost like you should quit tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You really should like your experience now has driven you like all the all the way from being liberal all the way to being like uber like like anti-black in some ways. Yeah. I mean and and we got to remember just cuz you're liberal in, you know, like societal issues doesn't mean that you don't harbor anti-blackness, you know, um ideations or something, you know, within you, right? Like there are a whole lot of like super liberal folks about trees and 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 whales and tigers and you know all kinds of stuff but won't look at you know black kids and the the context that they've grown up in the generational context that their communities have been oppressed in and look at them you know with a fair shake you couple that with the idea that many educators are um intellectuals doing intensely emotional work and so like your core is going to get exposed what you say you believe in will be exposed you know and and challenged you know uh, many 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 times across the, the school year and so like you know like the that's why it's so vital that the folks who are in front of our kids or teaching other people kids have to be so in tune to not only human growth and development but the context that you know um, black and brown um, families have have grown up in what the needs are this cultural responsiveness um, you know all of it is just so vitally important because um, that 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 um, liberal person the tree hugger yeah she ain't alone there's a whole lot of folks you, you'll see their feeds and like oh yes this and that and let the world be and all this thing but you know see them around black kids like nah it, it, none of that plays out what does culturally responsive mean? Culturally responsive basically means that you understand who you're teaching, right? And you're not approaching, you're not this colorblind person, right? Like they, we, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I realize I'm in a bubble sometimes because I don't even realize how many people still say, I don't see color. I just see kids. Man, yo, man. And I'm just amazed when I see it now. I'm just like, damn, like like, what are you talking about? Like, especially like, in an elevator. That's a cop out, bro. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a cop out. Somebody say that, right? And people believe, well, they say they believe it because, you know, they, this is some of these same people are the ones calling cops. Or, okay, they see color there, like, yeah, it's a black kid, walk, you know, walking down the street, you know. So, but it, it's just, you know, this understanding. So, basically, cultural responsiveness is understanding that but also understanding your own biases and how they play out in in classrooms and schools how you make decisions about kids right who you call on who you allow to give corny and weak answers to and who do you challenge to push further who do you support more all of that is culturally responsive understanding not only the culture of the people that you live in you're teaching but also your own culture and the biases and privilege or anything else that may um affect how you teach and how kids learn. So, so, so let me ask you, show, that's what it is. Let me ask you guys this. Somebody tells you, you're having a conversation with a white person and they tell you, Hey, I don't see color. What's your response? Gotta be a response. Yeah. I mean, I, I generally, I mean, people don't really tell me that directly. And, you know, these are things that people that I read and stuff or hear about, but I mean, I just tell them, I would tell them there's no such thing as, you know, not seeing color. Um, you know, and if and if you say that, that means you're not seeing that child. Like you're basically saying that kid is invisible to you. That you don't 
care about their culture. You don't care about their, um, you know, what they've gone through, what they represent, what their strengths are, what their community strengths are, what their history is. You're basically saying, I'm ignoring all of that. And I just going to teach you. And I'm going to say, you're not going to be effective. Okay. So, uh, cause I'm not in the classroom and I'm not in school. I actually don't understand culturally relevant. I thought I did at some point. Mm-hmm. It started, it's, feel like witchcraft a little bit to me like I don't get no it. not at all not at all but but like so like on the I don't see color thing first of all I think people do see color even when they say that but oh of course they do but when I like uh, uh, you know like when I'm a lead on something like field trips or or um things with my kids and it's a bunch of white kids and black kids and you know uh Latino kids and and uh, some small kids whatever I could be one of the ones who says something like I'm not really seeing these kids as Somali and, and Latinx and whatever, right? I'm just seeing them as like a group of kids. So am I not like culturally responsive when I'm, when I'm the field trip leader? I'm just like, uh, yeah, you need, to, you need to be more sensitive to the different, different needs of those children, first of all. So, so here's an example. We, all, we, always know, we, all, we always know when we come to the end of the show because your mic start messing up, bro. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, he gets the T-Pain mic. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I knew it was going to happen. You started moving around and doing things you don't normally do during the show. Yeah, it did look like he was about to, like, you know. <laughs> like get, he was giving us the cue. Yeah, like he was going to go get some toast or something. <laughs> right? Um, anyways, so maybe, Ray, you can jump in. Like, I'm not being culturally responsive. When I say I don't really see these kids as, like, a bunch of white kids, for instance, if they're if I'm leading one of those groups or whatever, I just see them as kids. They're just they really are just kids to me. Yeah, but you're not you're not from you're not you're not be, uh, from a a group of people that are being oppressed. Yeah, but I have power over these children for that period of time. I'm I'm like their leader. Like I I can tell them what to do. I'm their you know, and they gotta like respect me and you know whatever. And I just see them as kids at that point because they're not actually like oppressors. Right. I don't think I don't think white kids are like many oppressors. I, well, let me take that back. I think that they can exhibit some problematic behavior at times, but they are still children. They are children. No, absolutely, right, right, they right, are. Right. right. So, um, so I'm not culturally responsive. I think I would fail as an educator if I was educating in in mixed circumstances. You, yo, you've been saying this a lot about your failures as an educator or your thoughts on how you will perform as an educator. And I'm telling you that you would do an excellent job as an educator because I learn from you all the time. I think I would do well with kindergarten. Okay. Yeah. Why because, kindergarten? Why? Because those kids still have the spark. They're still like, like I've, I've visited every grade mm-hmm. in hundreds of schools, right? I made it my mission years ago uh, to visit lots of schools. And mm-hmm. kindergarten is always the grade you can count on that if you're having a bad day and you visit kindergartens, it will turn your day around. Absolutely. You will feel happy for having <laughs> Man, that's there. When I wanted to um when I wanted to become a teacher, I, I substituted in kindergarten classes. I almost decided to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, it's you gotta find the right fit. But back to you and your field trips. So the month of Ramadan is about to start. So you might have some Muslim Somalis who are part of your um, part of your uh, trip. But are they going to have good microphones, fast. though? Will they have good ah. microphones? <laughs> <laughs> T-Pain. I give up. I give up. <laughs> um, 
that, that's a, a good point. That's a good point in that that would be an example where something would happen and I would I would I, I might know a little bit about it, but I probably would be like the teacher that you say is not responsible. I wouldn't know enough about it. But I would feel like I did. <laughs> I'd feel like I know a little something about you it. Might, you, you might be offering them some food, they say no thank you. You're like, eat this food. I said eat your food. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Well, no, you know, there've been some situations with some of them where they're not allowed to shake hands. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I learned this in a couple of situations like, you know, uh, when it hits you, you're like, well, damn, why didn't I know that? <laughs> right? Like, um, it's not like people wear a sign that says I, I, I'm from a culture that not, um, does not allow us yeah. to shake hands with men. Right. You know. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so guys, uh, but that's culturally responsiveness. Right there, the, the so-called witchcraft, you just show like, hey, you know what? This is, this is something that's important. Um, another example of if I'm a white teacher and I'm only teaching about my culture to a room full of black kids, that's not witchcraft. That's, you know, or, or not doing that is not witchcraft. That's like a real thing. Kids will be less engaged in that kind of, they can't see themselves. What you're saying is the only contributors have been white people. Like yeah. if a kid yeah. hears that for 12 years, what, like that does something to the black psyche. That would do anything to their psyche if that's all they heard. Like, hey, you've contributed nothing. The only thing you've uh, been is a, a slave, and you, you better be happy about that, right? Like, so that that kind of thing happens a lot in our schools, and we have to be, you know, we have to ensure not only more diversity in our in our schools, but also the folks who are there, the white people, the eighty percent, or in Pennsylvania and Minnesota, ninety six percent who are white, that they are. Um, fully developed and they have professional learning to what cultural responsiveness is. It is absolutely vital to learning. All right. So final thoughts on the Sharpie AP. We'll start with you, Chris. I, I, I think like when you start touching children, like put like cutting their hair, uh, you know, writing on them, all that type of stuff. That's a different level of just crazy for me. Like I'm all for order and rules and discipline. And I do think you should have dress codes and, and, and I do think that families and children should work together to follow them. But the Sharpie thing is like taking it to a different level. I know for a fact if that happened to my kid and my kid came home and said that you would get what I call uh, Christopher part two. There's a Christopher part one. <laughs> He's a pretty nice guy. There's a Christopher part two. That's the one you don't want to meet. And uh, uh, drawing on my kid is, I think, is where you're hitting that line. Or cutting their hair, you know, lopping off anything, any of that type of stuff to me is crazy. Reef. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Like, I don't know how much to add to that. This is a crazy situation. I really feel bad for, for the child. I, I hope the family is addressing this. But not only addressing it, it's like, this is happening too much in our schools over and over and over again, whether it's cutting people's hair, whether it's um, denying them uh, to be able to come in because they have an Afro or whether now, I mean, this is a, a new low because I never heard of anything like this before, but painting a kid's head um, because you don't like the, uh, the M that's, that's uh, drawn in or cut in. Yeah. So I guess my final thoughts are uh, aligned with y'all's thoughts, man. I just, I just, I think that this assistant principal lost his damn mind in that moment and that, you know, there should be 
uh, immediate training so that no one else in the whole state of Texas makes policies to make parents dress the way they want them to dress and for people to put their hands on people's on people's kids. Like that's just it, you know, Lisa Del Pitt, I know that you guys have read this, wrote a book called Other People's Children. And it basically gives you like a synopsis of how you should respond to other people's kids that are not your own. Right. And I think that that's paramount in a situation like this. All right. So you guys have heard from the eight black hands podcast. We're out. You have been listening to the eight black hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at eight black hands one. Thank you for listening.